for today's message, if you can understand it, finish you where it start, you where not it. <laughs> Read it backwards. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. That actually came from an Amway conference that I went to. We used to wear a badge, you know, and it said that on it. I learned a lot from Amway. Never do it again. <laughs> but they said that, and I think there's some powerful truths that come from that in the, in the kingdom of God. And, and I'm talking today to, to a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of different backgrounds and starts in life and so on. And, and uh, remember that show, This Is Your Life? Um, it was on TV, it wasn't a bad show, and they brought a celebrity on and they, they went over their life and they brought in people from their past, teachers and employers and, and friends and so on, and they relived, you know, experiences in their life and they all hugged and, oh, it's so wonderful to see you again and, yeah, I remember this and that. And then at the end of it, they gave them this book, this, and it looked like a nicely presented leather-bound book, and they said, you know, John Farnham or whoever, this is your life, and they gave him the book, and that was the end of the show, and I, I used to watch it a bit, and I, I think, that's a bit of a funny thing, because the person's still breathing, they're still alive and well, how can you give them a book and say, this is your life, because you see, there was still some of their life that had to be written, and as it is with you and I, there's still some of our lives that have to be written. And it's not, we haven't finished yet. If you're alive and well in this place, if you're still breathing, if you got here under your own steam this morning, <laughs> there's still some chapters of your life that have to be written. And we've never written a chapter or a book of the Bible, but I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can write the final or the, or the next chapters of our own life if we yield to Him and allow Him uh, to influence us and to take us into what he has for us. And so this is your life to a point. And you may say, but Al, you don't know my life. I, I got off to a pretty bad start. I, I was adopted. I failed miserably at school. I've been divorced. I've, I've, I've been in jail. I was the least of my brothers and sisters. I, I was always frowned upon. I was the black sheep. I never got an education. I can't spell or read or, I, you know, I, I flunked out in so many different ways. That may be true, but friend, it's not where you started because you can pick up the pen and write the, the final chapter or chapters of your life. It sounds like we're all going to pass away in one more chapter's time, but I don't mean it like that. I just mean there is some, still some story to write. There is still some, some events to record I just recently had a birthday and someone said to me, Al, do you realize in 13 years' time you're going to be 80? I thought, thank you very much. That's really... And if anyone's here and you're 80, God bless you. That's fantastic. I admire you and I hope I make it. I'm sure we will. But, you know, it's, it's like for some of us, we may only have X amount of years or you might be a younger person here with so much more of your life, but it's not where you started it's where you finish that counts. Um, you know the story of, of Peter when he, he got out of the boat and there's, there's, there's a whole sort of attitude to that event that's like, oh, well, Peter, he, he looked down at the, he walked on the water, but then he looked down at the, the waves and the wind and he sank and there's this attitude of, well, Peter, you blew it. You failed. 
But you know what? Out of all the disciples in the boat, he got out. He stepped out of the boat and trusted that there and then he was going to, he said to Jesus, ask me to come and I will. Jesus said, come. And so he steps out of the boat. It was a windy, stormy night. Probably not the ideal place to step out and see if he could tread on the water. But he did that. And he walked towards Jesus and, and, and it said as he got there, he looked down at the wind, at the waves, they were boisterous and, and he started to sink because his faith, um, dribbled out of his feet, I guess. He got that sinking feeling and he started to go down. The Bible says that Jesus reached out and picked him up. And there's three things that could have happened from there on in. How did he get back to the boat? Number one, he either swam. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe Jesus carried him, piggyback, I don't know, carried him. I don't think so. Or maybe, just maybe, because Jesus picked him up again, he walked back on the water and got back in the boat. Probably a little wet, but he did it. <laughs> and it didn't matter where he started. It didn't matter where he was halfway through. It matters where he finished. And it matters for you and I where we finish in life. It matters the final chapters that we write under the influence of the Spirit of God, what we say yes to in the kingdom of God and, and what we agree to of the, of the truths of the Word of God that will take us through into, into writing the final chapter inspired and blessed by the very presence of the Savior of the world that we love and we've learned to trust. Amen? Joseph. He had a pretty troubled life. Remember Joseph in the coat of many colors? He had a dream, but then everything seemed to go against that dream. He was forgotten by or forsaken by his brothers. He was sold into slavery under the threat of death. He was, he was uh, um, forgotten. He was framed by Potiphar's wife when she tried to seduce him. He did all the right things. But he was framed, he was thrown into jail. In jail he was forgotten. And we're not talking about a jail like you've got in Kempsey, Eddie. We're not talking about, you know, bed and breakfast. We're talking about a jail that probably would have stunk of, of human waste, of rats and mice. And he was forgotten. He probably wasn't fed or watered. He was probably suffering with malnutrition. And, and, but he had a dream. He hadn't written the final chapter of his life yet. He still had more to go. And it got to the point where, where the dream came to pass. And you can read the story for yourself, but, but it wasn't where he started. It was that God wrote the next chapter, and it was where he finished that counted. And I believe in this place today, there's, there's some of us where we're holding ourselves back. It's not like circumstances, it's what we allow those circumstances to dictate in our lives. It's how we allow them to speak to us. Moses, for example, <laughs> he started off life floating down the river in a basket. Not much of a start for life. He's, he was being hidden away from, from maybe being, his life being taken. Not much of a start. Look back on that one and, and, and think, oh, I got a great start in life. But it wasn't where he started. It was where he finished. The Bible says that when God asked him to go and speak, he said, I can't speak, I've got a speech impediment. Some Bible scholars also think that he was left-handed. How much worse can it get? 
<laughs> and if you're left-handed, God bless you. I'm sure it's fine. My brother's left-handed. The teacher said his handwriting looks like a spider, has crawled in the ink pot and then crawled across the page. <laughs> that was in his report card. <laughs> that brother has gone on to become a, a uh, Commodore in the Royal Australian Navy, basically ran the submarine fleet, has sailed um, warships all around the world, and I absolutely admire and look up to my brother who cannot write to save his life, but I'll tell you what, he's a man of God, and, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, the final chapters of his life are not written yet. See, God is a good God. <laughs> God is an amazing God. God wants the very best for us. And that saying there, finish you where it's, start you where not it's, do you know that's in the Bible? Have a look, if you could pop up Philippians chapter 3, please, verse 13. And it says it like this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't got everything together. That's what Paul's saying. I haven't got it all together, but one thing I do, one thing, if he says there's one thing I do, it's probably worth us paying attention and listening to what this one thing is. He says, one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. Yep, you might have had a bad start. Forget it. <laughs> it doesn't have any power over you anymore unless you give it the power. You know, Jesus bought our past. He paid for it with his blood. He owns it. You don't own it anymore. You can forget it now. You can let it go. You can become somebody greater than you see. God doesn't define you by your past. God doesn't define you by what you have or haven't done. You say, but Al, oh, there's this sin in my life. Hey, well, get right about it. Get on with God. Repent of it. Change some things. Delete the app in your phone. <laughs> Stop watching the thing on the, on the computer screen. Avoid going to the place where that sin overtakes you. Get your life in that place where you can forget the things which are behind. Forget them. Hey, forget they're still there, but you forget them. And, and what does it say? And reaching forward. Can you grab the... I don't know the passion of this. He says, I am reaching forward. I'm not just looking for, I am reaching forward. I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal. I press towards it. If there's an obstacle in my way, I press through it. I'm going through. I'm going, I'm leaving those things which are behind. I'm reaching and I'm pressing forward. When Stephen Katie bus will run a race, I tell you what, it's not like a, just a half-hearted effort. They don't just think, oh yeah, I'll just canter along here. They are pressing forward. They are reaching forward for what the finish line. It's not where they're at that counts. It's like, like Steve, what was his name? Um, Bradbury. It was like him. It doesn't matter where you are halfway through the race. It doesn't matter really where you are. All, <laughs> I was watching the thing on YouTube <laughs> And there's a guy running the race, and he's, he's meters from the finishing line. And he's there, yay, I'm the winner. I'm, and he slows down, I'm the winner. And he's waving to the crowd. Another guy comes roaring past him and breaks the ribbon and wins the race. <laughs> you see, it's not where you start. It's where you finish. And in this room, there is greatness. 
In this room, there is the call of God on so many lives. In this room, there is something above and beyond ordinariness. In this room, there are men and women that have so much more to offer, so much more to give, so much more to, to serve God with, so much more to rise up into. You I'm talking to, and you, and you, and you, and myself, I'm talking to men and women of God who can say there is no limitation because now it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's Him. Him in His glory. It's Him in His presence. It's Him and His impartation into my life. It's Christ that lives in me. Have you ever really, have you ever watched Louis Giglio? That thing about the stars and the planets. And if, you, if you get on YouTube, watch Louis Giglio. And the whole thing about creation and, and, and the, the magnitude. We talk about, you know, I drive 20 kilometers from Warhope. That God talks in billions of light years. Do you know how far light can go in a billion years? <laughs> Louis Giglio talks about it. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that is, is in you and I. That's the God that wants to release his presence, his anointing, his ability, his life, his, his everything through his people. That's you, friend, and that's me. You might have been adopted, so what? Forget it, get on with going on with God. You might have messed up somewhere. When I point out there, I'm pointing three fingers back at me. I have messed up big time in my life. I have made awful decisions. I have made wrong choices. I have, I have, uh. but it's no longer I that live. It's him, it's Christ that lives in me. It's him now. And to God be the glory because great things he has done. Amen? You with me on this? Life is hard. <laughs> we deal with sickness, disease, death. I just want to cheer you up. <laughs> Financial difficulties, loneliness, disappointments, depression, family issues. But whilst those experiences have unfolded in our lives... Our focus needs to be on the chapter ahead. You may have messed up, but God hasn't finished with you yet. And I, I just as we were there before and worshiping, I, I sort of felt God say, it's time not to just go through the motions of church anymore. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to sit in the seat and listen to what's happening and, and go away. <laughs> I believe God wants to change lives. God is raising up men and women of God. God is raising up a church in the midst of an industrial area. He's raising up a people with a passion and a cry and a heart for him who will take his presence into the workplace, the school, the, the coffee club, the home, the, the wherever you are, that will carry that anointing and that presence into that place and will speak wisdom that comes out of this book into the lives of so many others. And like I said there before, the ripple effect. You know, it says down the back there, the mid-north coast would know Jesus. That's our vision. And I was thinking the other day, I've been around churches for a while, and I think for about 45 years now, I've been praying for the Hastings for, that would know Jesus, for revival to come to this area. I believe it's been something, because we do that, we pray, and we've seen. We've seen churches grow, and we've seen people come in, but I still want to see 
a revival spirit touch this district and, and so bring people to their knees and, and, and turn their hearts to God. And I, I so want to see that, and I've been praying, I, like I said, for about 45 years for that now. So what do we do? Do we say, oh, well, I've been praying for such a long time? No, because I can see a cloud. As small as a man's hand. I can see it. It's on the horizon. It's starting to form. There is a, there is a move of God that is, that is so pregnant, if you like. The birth is going to come. That baby is going to be born. That release is going to be happened. What do we do? We keep on hanging in there. We keep on praying. We keep on going again. And we keep on believing God because we are the instrument of God on planet Earth to bring about revival in His nation. Amen. There's the whole story of Saul. Let me read out from Acts chapter 9, the first few verses. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked letters of him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This guy hated Christians. He hated the church. He was out there murdering Christians. He was out there bringing them in, putting them in jail. He had letters from the authorities to say he could do that. Um, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you wanted to raise up a man that would write much of the Bible, the New Testament, if you want to raise up a man that would raise up your church, I'm talking from God's perspective, if you wanted to raise up a man that would inspire and, and teach the churches how to be effective in, in their reaching out and their evangelism, if you wanted to instruct and correct your church, would you have chosen Saul? <laughs> On a scale of naught to ten, would you have chosen Saul? Naught. <laughs> Minus ten, he's not the man for the job. But God didn't let his attitudes, his actions, or his past define who he was. And God looked at Saul and he said, that's the man. That's him. I'll take that man. I'll transform his heart. I'll write another chapter of his life. I'll put him into that place where my church can be encouraged and blessed by him, where he can sow truths into that. He can, write, he can become a leader in the area of evangelism, of church growth. He can preach my word. I'm, that's the man I want. You see, his story hadn't finished. His story had gotten to a point, and it says there, and he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and the Lord said, I'm Jesus. Yeah, I love that. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, <laughs> what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. See, God doesn't see us for where we've been or even for where we are. He sees us for what we can be. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, I bet he had, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel. There's some chosen vessels in the house of God today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. That would be so accurate. Now say to yourself, I think he's talking about me too. 
Gopher is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. You see, God sees the value that nobody else does. He doesn't define you by your mistakes. He doesn't define you by your wrong choices. He doesn't define you by what you've done or haven't done. He sees something more in you than we probably ever do. What about Gideon? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. It's in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord, here was Gideon with so much potential. What was he doing? Threshing wheat on the threshing floor. In other words, hiding away, holding his potential, holding. He was living an ordinary life. God says an angel to him. What does the angel say? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. Imagine the expression on Gideon's face. <laughs> me? <laughs> You're talking to me? Mighty man of valor? You see, Gideon was just, I've, I've written this down, let me read it. God, Gideon was discouraged, doubtful, and he settled for survival. Anyone here? Don't put your hand up. Anyone here settled for survival? It's easy to settle for survival. It's easy just to get by. It's easy just to live ordinary. It's easy just to push away the challenges and the pressures and the call of God. It's easy just to live on the threshing floor. But I believe there's a, there's a voice speaking to many today that's saying, you mighty man of valor, you mighty man or, or woman of God, you mighty young person, of God, you mighty man of prayer and, and of truth, you mighty man of, of, of a husband or a father, you mighty man of a mother or a, or a sister or a daughter, you mighty person, because God's being, his impartation is in our lives. You see, it isn't where you started, it's where you're at. It isn't the wrong decisions you've made, it's what you have or haven't, or, and it isn't what you have or haven't done. It's the heart of the Father who wants to join with you to write the next chapter. I'll finish with this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah gets a vision of, of the presence of God. He, he gets, I, I would love this. <laughs> I can read this and I can shut my eyes and imagine it. But Isaiah, he sees God seated on his throne. He goes into the heavenly place in his, in his I don't know, his imagination or God reveals it to him as a vision. And he says there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, I'll, I'll just turn to it here. Who would love a vision like this of the presence of God? It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high, lifted up. Who would like to see that? And the train of his robe filled the temple. Oh, can you imagine that right now? This person. The greatness, the splendor, the magnificence of God. The train of his robe filling the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. It doesn't tell us how many seraphim. I imagine there was a good number of them. And it says they had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. How amazing would that be? I'd love to see Steven Spielberg put this into a movie. He probably couldn't. And one cried to another and he said, now this is in the presence of a holy God. The seraphim are holy, sinless creatures. But their reaction to the presence of God was holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Compared to their 
holiness. God was, I don't know, somehow so much more, so much more splendid, so much more awesome. I, I can't think of the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was so much more. And their reaction was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Can you see this? Can you get a glimpse of this? And then I said, this is Isaiah. And he doesn't say, woe is me. I believe it would have been a blood-curdling, heartfelt, passionate cry. Woe is me. I'm undone. He saw his own life in the presence of a holy God. And he said, but woe is me, I'm undone. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He looked straight away at his sin. He looked straight away at his failing. He looked straight away at his, at his falling short. He looked straight away at his unworthiness. And right there and then it's like he disqualified himself from even standing in the presence of a holy God. Woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he says, and not only that, I'm a, I'm a, I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He said, my whole world, the whole environment, if you like, is unclean in the presence of the holiness of the living God. What am I to do? I've got nothing going for me. Maybe you feel a bit like that today. How can I serve God? How could God use me? Who am I? <laughs> You don't know my past. You don't know my, I sinned only this morning. I, I, woe is me. We would all echo the same, woe is me. Woe is me in the presence of a holy God. But then he said, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. I don't get this. He took it from the altar with tongs and then he had it in his hand. But anyway, that's a supernatural realm. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. The seraphim took something from the altar and he touched Isaiah's life. God took something from his altar he took an offering and he touched your life and he touched my life. He didn't take a coal, he took Jesus and he touched our lives. And from that point onwards, once we accepted that, our sin was purged. Your failings are purged. They become finished, they become irrelevant, they become nothing anymore. Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. And I believe there's a number of things that were finished, but one of the things that was finished was our old lives our sinful nature, our ungodliness, our pre-God days where we didn't walk with him, where we lived in a, in a world and, and we were, were, were one with the world. But it is finished, friend. It is finished. It is finished. I don't care whether you're, not, whether you're illiterate. I don't care whether you're adopted. I don't care whether you've sinned this morning. I don't care whether you, 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 you've got, you speak with a stutteroid or, or whatever it is or you're left-handed. It matters that it's no longer I that liveth. 
It's Christ that lives in me. It matters that now we have been purged. It matters that the old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Behold, can you behold it today? Your life has become new in him. The day that you bowed your knee and you said, Jesus, I ask you into my life. I give you my life. I want to become, you know, part of the kingdom of heaven. That I repent of my sin. The day that you did that, the old was passed away. Forgetting those things which are behind. Come on, you've got to forget them. You've got to realize what's happened to them. They've been purchased with the blood of the living God. You are free from them now. It's no longer I that live. And the Bible says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. For some of you, that's going to be a struggle. You've got to say, I'm redeemed. It's as if I have no sin. It's as if, it's as if I'm, I'm a, you know, made in the image of him now in all of his holiness and glory and perfection. I am now, I'm now living with him and in him. I live and move and have my being. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Can you say that today? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Could you say that with all honesty? Because if you can't, you need to forget the things which are behind. You need to press forward. You need to reach towards the goal, which is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just stand with me if you would, musicians, if you'd come up. And Isaiah, as I finish this little bit of scripture here, he says there in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will I send? After all of this, after he's been touched with the, with the offering from the altar, his cry is now is, God says, who shall I send? And he says, here am I. Send me. It's like, God, you win. I don't have an, I don't have an excuse. I don't have a reason. There's nothing left. There's nothing I can say. I'm, I'm not good enough anymore. There's nothing that I can offer as an excuse not to serve you, not to live totally for you, not to, not to be counted as, as, you know, as, as someone useful in the kingdom of God. I can let my self-image go now, my low self-image, because now, God, you've touched me with the, with the, with the, the life-changing power of God. I don't have any other reason. Here am I. Send me. God's looking for people to go into the workplace. God's looking for people to go into the school. God's looking for influences in our world. Anyone got any reasons that weren't dealt with on the cross why we can't do that? I'm sorry if I'm being a bit harsh, but I'm, like I said before, church is not to come and be entertained. Church is to change lives. The presence of God is to change us, to grow us, to increase us to enlarge us for his glory. Father, you took it all. You dealt with the power of sin. You dealt with every shame and every bit of contempt the enemy might throw against us. And by your grace and your mercy, we can stand in your presence today. No longer I that live. You took our old life and you, you put it to death. But now it's Christ that lives in me.
Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I love that song. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Can you say that today? In your heart of hearts? We're going to sing something. I'm going to let Matt choose something. And I believe today's a turning point. If you're watching this online, it would be for you as well, as well as the people in the building. A turning point in our lives where we can say voluntarily, with whatever faith we can muster, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me now. The old things have passed away. And just like Isaiah said now, I can say it to him, here are my Lord, send me. I'm not saying you're going to go to Uganda or anything like that. I'm saying you're going to go into your environment, into your family. You're going to go into your, your oikos group. Your oikos is the people that you know, the Greek word. You're going to go into there and you're going to be that influencer and that, that carrier of his presence. You're going to be that person that, like Eddie does, prays for people around him in the workplace and sees miracles and sees people saved. Here am I, Lord, send me.